I'd like for you to turn to the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning of verse 14. Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 14. This familiar story or parable of our Lord. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. I think you're familiar enough with this parable to know that what happened to the two guys, one had five and one had two, they invested theirs and multiplied it. So pick up with me at verse 24. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I, did, I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away and cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth." A good while back, a person came up to me and said, I want to, I heard your sermon, and he said, I want to ask you something about that sermon. It was obvious from the tone of his voice that he didn't agree with what I said. Now, I always get the acid pumping, you know, in your stomach when somebody wants to challenge what you say in a sermon. So I said, well, let's, let's talk about it. He said, it, it seems like it. I had been preaching on the fact that, that some of us assume that if we, you know, do what God wants us to do and live a good life, that we have a right to expect from Him certain uh, privileges and favors and, and benefits, kind of like a favored nation, you know, or a, a, a favorite uh, customer. And in this sermon, I said that we do not have a right, even though we do um, live a good life and do what God wants us to do, we don't have a right to expect any special favors from Him. And he said, now given the fact that We've been faithful to God and we, are, we live a good life. What do we have a right to expect from Him? Now what would you answer to that? Well, I told him what I thought, you know, that we had a right to expect from God. He'd always be faithful and to His nature and His character and being. 
And then I said this, that uh, I think kind of helped him a little bit. I said, whatever we have a right to expect as we try to do what's right, everybody has a right to expect from God. That He reigns on the just and the unjust as well. Now I got to thinking about it, it was a good question he asked, a, a wonderful question as a matter of fact, but I, I've got a better question than that for him next time I see him. And here's the question, given the fact that God has so blessed us with opportunity and ability, what does God have a right to expect from us? That's a bigger question, that's a better question. And that's the issue that this parable deals with, for here is a man who gives his servants with opportunity and, and ability, and he returns with the idea that he has a right to expect that these men would do certain things with what they have. After all, uh, that's why God saves us. I mean, He didn't save us just for our benefit so that we wouldn't go to hell, you know. He saves us so that there would be a life that would give Him glory, so that there would be someone who would uh, bring benefit to Him and glorify Him. And the real issue this morning is, in light of the fact that you have ability and opportunity given you by God, what are you doing with your life that glorifies Him? That's what He has a right to expect from us. Now really there are three uh, truths, incontrovertible truths in this story. They're very simple. I want you to get them if you will. The first truth is, is that you and I have an inescapable responsibility to do something with what God has given us. We have an inescapable responsibility to do something given the fact that we have ability and opportunity. Now these servants in this text are really, uh, in the parable, they are applicable to us, and they're, the word is doulos there, and it means absolute bond slave. And what, is, what these men were, was they, they were absolutely bound to their master's wishes and desires, inescapably. And they were absolutely bound to the purpose and the will of their master. And they had an inescapable responsibility to do whatever he wished and whatever he said. And they had no choice, no option in the matter but to do that. They were bond slaves. Now I lay lay down a definition of the word talent. Um... You've heard that word a lot. In fact, these people who sang this morning, this choir, these people have wonderful talents. Talent. That's not what this, that's not what this word means at all here. In the context, this word talent or gift that these servants receive from their master is this. It is an ability and an opportunity to benefit their master. An ability and an opportunity to bring benefit to their master. Now, you've heard this um, verse of Scripture a lot. Um, To him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. You've heard that, haven't you? Let me ask you a question. 
Is there anything that you know that you could do that would bring benefit to God and you have an opportunity to do that and you're not doing it? Now it's a two-sided coin. There's an ability and an opportunity. Some people have an ability to do something and they don't have an opportunity to do it. I mean, I can sing, but I've never been asked to. I don't have the opportunity. And some people have the opportunity and they don't have the ability. A few years ago, the NFL went on strike and these football players walked out. And so they, in order to play, have football games on Sunday and you can't have a, I mean, is, there, is it possible to have a fall of the year and not have a football on Sunday? I mean, so they got these scabs and these guys that couldn't make it in the NFL and they, they, they let them play the game. And I saw, I was watching on television and these guys got on. They weren't good enough to play in the NFL, evidently. So they, but they got on and they said, we have the ability to play in this league. We know we can play with these guys. We just haven't been given the opportunity. Well, when the strike was over, these guys were turned out to pasture. They were all fired except two or three and the owners got on. I heard the owners say, it's obvious these guys didn't have the ability to play in the NFL. We gave them an opportunity and they didn't perform. They didn't come through. Well, it's possible that you might have an ability and no opportunity. You might have an opportunity and no ability. It's a two-sided coin. And what is happening here is, is that Jesus is saying that you have an ability and you have an opportunity to do something that brings me benefit. Now what are you doing? Do you know something that you could be doing for God and you have an opportunity to do that and you're not doing it? You know what the Bible calls you? calls you a sinner. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. We're living in sin when we're, doing, when we're not doing what we could do. Maybe that's why our prayers don't get above the ceiling. Maybe that's why this book is a dead book to you. Maybe that's why we don't have power in our witness, in our testimony, is that we have an ability and an opportunity and we're bringing no benefit to God with it. With knowledge comes responsibility and res with responsibility comes accountability and you and I will be judged not just by the life we are, we are living, we're going to be judged by the life we neglected to live. We have an inescapable responsibility to do something with what we've been given. Second point, simple truth. There is no excuse for doing nothing. Now this guy thought he had a, had a good excuse. He said, here's was his excuse. He said, I was afraid. Afraid of what? Well, most scholars agree that this man was afraid of failure given the fact that he had only one talent and the others had five and two, he was afraid that when it came to crunch time, he wouldn't be able to deliver as much as they were able to deliver and, and he would be considered a failure. That's no excuse. I mean, nowhere is it, does it ever say that the Lord requires us to be successful. He only requires us to be what? Faithful. And the only person who is a failure is the person who does nothing. Everybody thinks they have an excuse for doing nothing. Everybody thinks they have a good excuse. Jessica Hahn was asked one time why she posed nude for Playboy. Jessica Hahn was uh, Jim Baker's uh, friend. And somebody asked Jessica Hahn, why you play 
you posed for Playboy in the nude, and she said this. She said, well, the Lord showed me this rainbow and told me it was all right. Now, if you, if you buy that, I'd like to sell you some beachfront property over in Iowa. Everybody thinks they've got an excuse. Chuck Colson says that every one of us has an infinite capacity to justify everything we do. The psychologists call that a self-serving bias. Now, a self-serving bias is, an ex is what we consider to be a good excuse for what we do or what we don't do. Now, the question is not, do I have a good excuse for doing nothing? The question is, does God think I have a good excuse for doing nothing? And the answer is no. Now, there is no excuse for doing nothing for two reasons. First of all, it's because of the ability of the recipient of the gift. God will never ask you to do something you are not able to perform. Now, I've said this so many times, it's redundant, but I'm going to say it one more time. If God asks you to do something, He'll never, ever give you light that you cannot obey. Now you may have to say, well, my neighbor over here knows so much more about the Bible, knows so much more about God than I do. You know what you're doing? You're measuring, you're measuring your ability to obey because God will never give you light that you can't obey. So that there is adequacy in the recipient or you would never, ever be given the gift. Second, there is no excuse because of the adequacy of the gift itself. Now, now the master said to this servant, he said, why didn't you take this talent, my talent, notice my, why didn't you take my talent and put it in the bank? Let it draw interest. Because there was something in the talent, inherent in the talent, a power inherent in the talent that guaranteed its success. You know, the more I looked at this, now watch this. The more I looked at this, the more I was amazed by the fact that the success of this story did not so much rest upon the ability of the recipient as it did in the inherent power or adequacy of the gift itself. And that answers some questions that I've always had about these preachers. Now, I know some preachers won't call their names. This is not just trying to find something bad about people, but I, I, that's true. I, I know some preachers that are sorry. I mean, they're immoral, and, and they're just, I mean, they're just con men and, and bums is the best thing I can say about them. And they get up on Sunday or in a revival meeting and preach and just have this tremendous response. And I thought to myself, how could that be? I mean, how could God bless that? Well, I've come to understand, I understand now, that there is something inherent in the gift, and if a person just exercises the gift, there's a power in it that guarantees success. Now, I'm not saying to you that just any sleaze bag in the world God could use. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that God's not looking for all these super people who have these marvelous talents and abilities. He's just looking for some earthen vessel who will be a recipient of the gift, who will be willing just to receive his gift 
to allow that gift's inherent power to bring him glory and honor and praise. He's just looking for an earthen vessel to bless. There's no excuse for doing nothing. There's one last truth in this parable. I want you to see this. It's this. That there will come a day, there will come a day when we'll all give an account for doing nothing. I don't think we really believe that. I don't think you and I really believe that at all. That one day we'll be accountable for the life we neglected to live. It seems to me, now does this not seem logical? That if a person really believed that one day he would stand before God accountable for what he did or did not do with his life, that he'd be more sensitive and serious about how he lived his life? That seems like that'd be logical to me. That if a person really believed that one day he would be accountable to God for doing nothing with, what, with the ability and opportunity he had, he'd be, he'd be serious about doing something. C.S. Lewis once said, that the person who lives most for heaven is usually the person who leaves the earth a better place. What he was saying is this, that the person who had the greater sensitivity about the fact that he was going to stand before God accountable will do a better job of living on the earth. This is not pie in the sky business. This is a sensitivity about the fact that I've been given an opportunity and an ability and one day God's going to ask me about that, what I did with it. This is serious business for two reasons. It's serious business because doing nothing is wicked. Wicked. Now how many times do you think Jesus ever used that word, wicked? If you started looking in the New Testament and got you a red letter edition and looked for every time Jesus called a person wicked, you'd be hard-pressed to find a time. I mean, he didn't just go up to folks and say, you're wicked, man, you're a wicked guy, you're a wicked woman. He didn't do that. As a matter of fact, he scarcely ever used the word. He usually reserved the word wicked and applied it to the activity of Satan. Oh, he did use it one time when he was talking about the man who was forgiven a large debt but refused to give a guy who owed him a less, lesser debt. He did use the word then. He did call him wicked. But you, you just don't find the word. He, this, is, this, is a, this is a big word. This is a heavy word. And Jesus didn't just use it all the time. Wicked. I decided I would see how many times I could find that word in a newspaper. Now, I think that I'm safe to be safe to say this is a wicked, <laughs> wicked world in which we live and people drive up beside you in a car on the freeway and shoot you in cold blood. That's pretty wicked, I'd say. I mean, you know, guy go into a sporting goods store in Dallas, Texas and pe buying people. This is gory, gory details of what happened during the happy holiday season. Put duct tape over their face and mouth and cut their throats. I mean, I'd, I'd call that wicked. But you know, I looked in the... Dallas Morning News one day, and I looked all the way down through there, and I never one time ever found the word. It's a heavy word. 
Sometimes we get so excited and we scream the loudest about those things that our Lord hardly ever even mentions. And we consider a virtue those things that he condemned the most. Would you call a man who does nothing wicked? Jesus did. And Jesus condemned the fig tree and, and destroyed it not because it brought bad fruit, but because it brought no fruit. And Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan not to condemn the thieves and the robbers, but to rebuke the priest and the Levite who did nothing. Wicked. Now, if you knew a person who went into a laboratory and discovered a cure for AIDS, and he put that formula down on a piece of paper and put it inside of his coat pocket and walked out of there and told nobody, would you call him wicked? Wicked, that's what he is. And if there had been a watchman on the tower and he saw those planes coming from Japan down into Pearl Harbor Bay to bomb the daylights out of American sailors and he saw those planes coming in there and sounded no alarm, would you call him wicked? You bet you would. You would haul him up for treason. Wicked. And so when Jesus looked at this person whomever he is, whether he's in this room this morning or not, who did nothing with the ability and opportunity he possessed, he called him wicked. This is serious business. It's serious business because it's wasteful. Now it's obvious that the person who does something does what the master wants him to do with his talent, it's obvious that it became fruitful. It bore fruit. And it is also obvious that the man who did nothing wasted an opportunity, wasted a talent. Waste. True story. And it happened. guy said to me one time, he said, you know, I was talking to so-and-so and he told me he wasn't going to give any more money to the First Baptist Church. I said, well, what happened? Mad the preacher. You know, he said, he was passing by the church one night and saw a bunch of lights on down here. And he said, I decided that they're just wasting my money. Got all those lights on down there. He said, I'm not going to give any more to the church because they just waste my money. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say that there probably are times when we're not the best stewards of what we have, what we receive. I got some opinions about, you know, the waste of wasting the stuff and budget, et cetera. Well, let me tell you what I call waste. I mean, it's my time to talk. <laughs> See these empty choir pews, choir chairs, when there are people who can sing to the glory of God? That's what I call waste. And you know those Sunday school classes where there are people who need to hear the wonderful message of the Scripture and the Gospel and we can't get teachers to teach? That's what I call waste. And you know all these people who live up and down the streets and the jails and the hospitals and 
and disenfranchised and fragmented lives and destroyed people and, and unhappy and, un, and, and lonely folks in nursing homes, etc. And there are people who never, ever darken their doors with any kind of hope, any kind of life or light, who could do that and don't. That's what I call waste. It's having an ability and an opportunity and doing nothing. That's waste. You see an American Airline commercial? It's halftime. And these big football players are in the locker room and they're covered with mud. It's raining and so they got to plant out there in the mud. They're covered with mud and blood. <laughs> they're sitting over in this locker room and the coach is giving his halftime talk. Oh, he's mad. He said, oh, you guys are blocking like sisters. He said, how are they getting to our quarterback? And he slams his fist into the locker. How are they getting to our quarterback? And this big old fat guy, he must obviously a great old big lineman. He must weigh 200, 300 pounds. He said, coach, aren't we ahead 21 to nothing? And, and the coach says, I love it. He said, that's what's wrong with you. When you stop caring as a player, we're finished as a team. And we're talking about, we're not talking about a team here this morning. We're talking about individuals. We're talking about people, you and you and you and me, who have been given of nobility from God to benefit him, an opportunity from God to benefit him. And when we stop caring as a player, as an individual about that, we're finished as a team. Every person here this morning has an inescapable responsibility to do something. And there's no excuse in light of the fact that one day we'll give an account to God what we've done with it. That's big time serious business. Let's pray together. Father, grant us the heart and the courage and the will to respond to your invitation today. I pray in Jesus' name. And I wonder if there's somebody here this morning who's never accepted Christ. Now, you may be just a wonderful person. You're a good person. You live a good life. But you've never accepted Jesus. You've never prayed the sinner's prayer to receive Christ. You've never committed your heart and life to Him. A commitment of faith and trust. You have an opportunity to do that today. And faith has been granted. The Scripture says that He gives faith. Would you come this morning to accept Christ as your Savior? Or maybe you need to come this morning to say, I want to do it right. I want to, to, to make public my profession. I want to be baptized. Or I want to join this church. Maybe you need to come to say, you know, I do have an opportunity and an ability, and I've just, I've neglected. I want to make a recommitment to that. 
Would you do that while we stand to sing? We invite you to come.